0: Lord, thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would come. Would you quiet our hearts and our minds? Lord, open our eyes and our ears that we might see and hear and experience you afresh. Jesus, would you be lifted high among us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. The cold air, the throngs of people, the lights, the NYPD barriers waiting since 7 a.m., all to get a shot at being in Times Square when a sphere on a pneumatically driven pole descends as the crowd in unison chants. Say it with me. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5... Four, three, two, wah! I'm speaking of New Year's Eve in NYC, of course. I've never been. I don't plan to. I'd rather be on the couch eating gumbo, watching a period, British period piece with Katie. But don't get me wrong. I really, really resonate with And appreciate the themes of New Year's Eve and New Year's in general. Waiting, anticipating, planning a clean slate. Boiled down, these themes spell hope. If you grew up like I did, which is not in church, you may not know that today is our New Year's. Uh, The church actually has a different calendar than the one that um, our society follows. It's called the Christian year or the liturgical calendar. And it's a sequence of seven seasons built around the holy days that correspond to major events in the life of Jesus Christ. The very beginning of which is Advent, which is today, day one. Advent is four seasons, four, sorry, four seasons. It's four Sundays. Uh, leading up to Christmas Day. And instead of structuring our time around a solstice or two or the changing of leaves, colors, as Christians, our year revolves around the arc of Jesus' life. Advent, which is the season we are starting this morning, comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming or arrival. Advent is a season of anticipation and watchfulness, of preparation and waiting all around the arrival of Jesus when he was born of Mary on the first Christmas day. As well as his arrival at the very end of days when Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. And so what Advent does for us is that it looks to the arrivals of Jesus. Just like New Year's Eve and the pneumatically driven sphere thingy, the themes of New Year echo similarly because Advent is a season of waiting and anticipating, not for resolutions that are simply a veneer over particle board, but waiting and anticipating the true fix to the true problem that you and I have we live in a dark and broken world that diets and better organizations and more money even a Chevy Tahoe cannot fix their veneer just as Robert pointed out last week if the IKEA furniture gets a scratch or breaks a leg there's only one solution the dumpster but the marketing machine that is New York and L.A. and now Austin for some reason, it screams at us through print, through your Instagram feeds, through Facebook, if you still use that, through TikTok, through all of these means, and it's screaming at us, and it's telling us that those things that you can purchase and that you can set yourself up with, are the point of life. That it's actually not dark out there. There is no problem. That all you need to do is just eat the right things, read the right books, listen to the right podcasters, do X, Y, and Z, and then, listen up. You and I will have arrived as emotionally healthy, self-actualized, intelligent, peaceful beings, in harmony one with another. Utopia. Got a question for us, how's the experiment going? You know we've been at this for a few years now. If you just do all the right things then you're gonna be at peace and then we will all be at peace one with another. Here's the thing, the Christian year offers us a better set of lenses. It offers us a clear view that doesn't stuff down the reality of suffering and evil. It doesn't pretend like it's not there. It gives us a view that has us take stock in the consuming comforts that we're anesthetized by. You may notice that we lean a little bit more into our Anglican heritage during the season of Advent. And one of the ways that we're doing that is we're taking a break from our Mark sermon series And we're following the lectionary, which is essentially a three-year reading plan that includes an Old Testament, a Psalm, a Gospel, and a New Testament reading for each Sunday. And these readings are arranged thematically to correspond with the major seasons of the church calendar. This one's really fun. On this first Sunday of Advent, and we're in year A, we just finished year C, like last week, now we're in year A again. Um, we're offered this really interesting perspective shift with our assigned Old Testament reading. It's in Isaiah chapter two. But before we look there, Bobby Gross explains why we're gonna be in this passage this morning. You can see it up here on the screen. At the start of a new Christian year, it is fitting to contemplate both the beginning of time and the end of time. The creation of the cosmos and the promised new heavens and earth We live between these two horizons in an age and world in which something is terribly wrong. Yet, we know that God has been acting in history to redeem this brokenness, to put all things right, and that he will one day complete this redemptive work as promised through the writings of the prophets, the teachings of Jesus, and the letters of the apostles We have a picture of our ultimate home, a glimpse into our final destiny, and so in this season of hope, we imagine what is promised, and we intensify our longing for that future. We cry out as a people, come, Lord Jesus. So today, on this very first day of our year, which by the way, if no one's told you yet, Happy New Year's, we look forward to the end of time as we know it. That's where we're going today, and we look forward to the end of time as a means of helping us to anticipate our Christmas celebrations. So, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos, said concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah is prophesying in the uh, 8th century BCE. It's not a great time in Israel's history. They're not thriving. It is not their best life. Now all is not right. Justice is not winning the day. Oppression, slavery, and abuse are the norm. But the prophet Isaiah sees a vision of the very last days, wherein the city of Jerusalem and the people of God finally see his plan fully and finally Realized, this is what he saw. In the very last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. So, a lot of imagery here. In the last days clearly points to a future date, a date when the Lord's house is established as the highest, Or will be exalted, so parallel phrases meaning the same thing, that it's lifted up. And here's what that means. In the ancient Near East, the hills or the mountains were the places where the gods lived. That's these high places that you read about all throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 48 says this, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, Like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. Mount Zion is a real place. And it's outside uh, the city gates, the old city. It's 25, 10 feet above sea level. And historically, God chose Mount Zion and Jerusalem, the physical place, to be really important in the life of his people. We just heard that in Psalm 48. But, in Isaiah 11, which we'll hear a lot more about next week, eschatologically, which is just a fancy word meaning the very end of days, eschatologically speaking, the entire earth, listen up, the entire earth will be the Lord's mountain home, his special place. Isaiah could have used temple here, but instead he says in Chapter 11, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. A temple is a place primarily for worship. A house, a home, speaks to the Lord coming to live among his people. Verse 3, many peoples will come and say, come, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Many peoples will be drawn to Zion. But I want us to look carefully here. They will want to go to the place where God is, where they know that God himself will teach them his ways. Here's the translation. Nations of the earth will come to God to learn directly from him. There's a universal recognition from the nations that our God, the ones we worship today in this sanctuary, is the one true God. That's the future. But it does not say that all humans will come. It says that people from all of the nations will come, and they will do so voluntarily one one commentator pointed out this something makes them willing to seek the god of jacob namely a hunger for revealed truth they will come to learn and to obey to receive what cannot be had elsewhere and this teaching is nothing less than the actual word of the lord listen to this this is real knowledge a grasp of truth issuing in a changed life, the head warming the heart and redirecting the feet. And the language here is really interesting because with the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, the nation of Israel's role was to be a, de- a beacon. This city on a hill with no bushel over it wherein the nations would see Yahweh, his goodness, his greatness, what he was doing for the people of God, and they would want to come and worship Him as well. But just pick a page in the Old Testament and you'll see that Israel gets an F minus at best. Sure, there's a few quizzes that go pretty well, but for the most part, at the end of it all, they get an F minus. They fail. what we read here is that God is the one doing the teaching. He himself is the one bringing them. And not only that, but the humans that are being drawn from all the other nations, they're inviting others to come with them. The people from the other nations are the evangelists. Gentile inclusion. Okay, verse four. God shall judge between the nations. In this future day. And he shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Isaiah sees a world that is transformed. As the nations stream to the house of God, as they submit to his rightful rule, he is going to decide issues, he's going to arbitrate justice. And because the people of the world are letting God be God, every Miss America contestant's hopes and dreams come true. International justice, universal peace. It says here that the weapons of war will be transformed into gardening tools. As Moyer said, "The means of war the practice of war and the mentality of war are completely gone. Can you imagine that? True peace. In this future, the Lord reigns and we have finally experienced peace. Um, as If you've been here for a few months, you know that I want to... Uh, Use suspect metaphors and correlations, meaning uh, you just got to stick with me, okay? Now, this particular one I did not come up with, but I think it's brilliant. So if you don't like it, tell Joel. If you do like it, tell Joel. Here it is. You ready? Advent is like 3D glasses. Advent is like 3D glasses from the 80s and the 90s because I don't know if 3D glasses are the same as they were back then because I haven't seen a movie since about Libby Carpenter came along, which PSA, if you're single or you're engaged or you don't have kids yet, like go see the movies, like all of them, because you're never going to see another movie in the theater again, okay? Why? I don't know. It just, it's not a thing. Um, Okay, back to our metaphor. Advent is like 3D glasses. You may not know this, but a 3D image is one who has two different perspectives of the same image superimposed on each other. This is, this is what is known as an anaglyphic image. And so by using 3D anaglyphic glasses, each eye filters chromatically opposite colors, typically red and blue. And they do this to create a 3D eye-popping experience where it just jumps off the screen or the page. But here's the deal, you have to have both. You can't rock up to the movies, like I really wanna go see Avatar, and just have like one red eye or one blue eye. You have to have both in conjunction for it to work. Advent is just like this. Two very different perspectives or events of the same reality. The first arrival of Christ in Bethlehem and his second arrival at the very end of time as we know it. And just like the glasses, you have to have both to see clearly. The past arrival of Christ changed everything. And so will his second arrival. And you and I must live in between these two horizons, as Bobby Gross pointed out earlier. Both of Christ's inbreaking into humanity's timeline are essential. Let me say that again. Both advents of Christ are completely essential for us in this. For us to live in our present with truthfulness, we have to have both. Let me explain. Without belief in Jesus' first coming, his first advent, humanity would still be chained to sin, Satan, and ourselves. But without Jesus' second coming... We don't have a glimpse of our future. We don't understand that there is a hope that is coming. And you and I desperately need that picture of hope because of this. We have to know. We have to know what's coming. It doesn't spoil the adventure. Most times when you uh, receive the plot or you know what the ending of a story is before you've seen it or read it, It spoils the whole thing, right? That's why it's called a spoiler alert. But for us in this present darkness, listen up. In this present darkness, this place that is actually full of hurt and abuse and terrorism and cheating, we need to be reminded of the end, We need to know that at the end, God is going to make all things right. We need to know that to enable us to live presently with truth, not stuffing it, not insulating ourselves from the real hatred, the real racism, the real injustice that continues to run rampant in our world. Eyes that are wide open. Lives that see things for what they really are. Hearts that are broken and plead with God to come and to heal. And then feet that move as under shepherds of justice. See, many of us know the story of the Redlands really well. Jesus was born in a manger There's some shepherds from the east with gifts, there's angels in the outfields, there's Christmas. But without this second lens, without this look to the very end of days, you and I cannot see our present with clarity. We cannot live truthfully. So the lectionary serves us so well today, on this first day Of the year. So now, hear the end of the story. Hear the end of the story so that you'll be able to enter your present more truthfully with eyes wide open and with hope.
1: Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. One of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit, to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple." The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it, and ever
0: thanks be to God that's your future church that's where you and I are going as those that are in Christ that's our hope as we prepare for Christmas as we celebrate Christ's first arrival let's not forget what's coming in the future as we heard in our lectionary readings, we don't know the hour. We don't know the day. Only the Father does. So we sit in preparation and watchfulness for the true king. Let's pray. God of Jacob, thank you for revealing yourself patriarchs, for speaking to the prophets and through the prophets to your people, for the forerunner, John the Baptist, for the incarnation of the Son, for the ministry of the apostles and the continuing ministry of your church of which you are the head, Lord Christ, God, in light of your advents, may we walk in the light of the Lord. God, as we come to your table now, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you would say to us this morning as we prepare. In Jesus' name, amen.